Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. Ten minutes into the film, I was like watching it like, Craig is going to hate this. I was watching it just <laughs> knowing everything I was seeing. I was like, there was like in a sequence with like, I was like, do I warn him? Yeah, ironically, you didn't warn me until I pointed out that I was half an hour in and I was like, what the hell is going on? All the stuff with the pus got me. Like when ah, when she's like yes. pussing and it's in the custard, I was like... Yes! I- oh, it's so gross! Right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the boss. Wait! Stop! I'll be back. No! Here's Johnny. Oh, hi, Mark. They call me Mr. Tibbs. supposed to blow the bloody doors off well good movies hello and welcome to well good movies the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and deserve to be remembered for all time and who boy have we got a fun episode for you today i'm your host david osger and i'm joined by someone who's likely so done with zombie apocalypses he might just start one of his own it's craig mcdonald hello craig yeah how are you well, I, I think you've already described it. I think I think I'm in a pretty dour mood, to be honest. You work so hard. <laughs> you work so hard to to get out of this everybody die scenario film right. to the point that we're start we're talking about Muppets, right? Muppets, we you know we're we're out of that realm, and then we're punched right back in. It was quite the connection to to the film we're discussing this week. So cred- it was a hell of a connection. It's just my my psyche can only take so much credit to charlie for that one thank you uh but yeah i count it as kind of four zombie movies in like the frame of like the last nine months maybe not even around october for god's yeah. sake <laughs> but even if we're looking at like this year i'm counting like maybe six or seven if you just want to include like things like seven in which there was like a creepy dead body and things like that so it's like you said there's the the spooky people dying vibes but yeah, I was just surprised that before Christmas we had quite a few zombie films, which included somebody who is uh, joining us for the discussion today as well. Yeah, and they were, as I would consider, thematically appropriate. <laughs> I'd also, I'd also like to point out, technically, it's one of our guests here today. It's technically their fault that the year started with the sort of bleak aspect that they did by opting to roll that wheel a third time. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's find out uh, what we're discussing and. Uh, potentially what Craig might have to say uh, with what we are watching. So Craig, please recap us on what happened last time and how we came to discuss this film. Well, in last episode, after discussing the Muppets 2011 revival film, we played a game that was aptly called Man or a Muppet, in which we had Charlie versus Mary. In the end, Charlie was our victor. And the film that they decided to bring us into on the theme of puppetry uh, and practical effects above all that was, depending on where you were living in the world, dead or alive, or as I believe it was known to us, brain dead. On this picturesque block, in this manicured home, 
something evil, something terrifying, something horrifying is haunting Lionel. His mother. I thought I told you to spray this house. The place is infested with bourbon. Although she was a little strict. Look at this dust. It's an inch thick. He never wished her any harm. You look after me like that. Until... <laughs> Your mother's dead, Lionel. Now, whatever Mom's got... Who's your mother? ...has caught on with the neighbors. She's been bitten! You can pray. I kick ass for the Lord! You can plead. You can beg for mercy. But nothing you can do will stop. Because how do you kill something that's already dead? Yep, so today we'll be talking all about Brain Dead or Dead Alive from 1992 and asking the question of whether it deserves the honor of a place in our movie vault. Our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So, for those who don't know, the story of Brain Dead is a young man's mother is bitten by a, some tran rat monkey. She gets sick and dies, at which time she comes back to life, killing and eating dogs, nurses, friends, and neighbors. The film is directed by Peter Jackson. This is one of his earlier films. He's known for critically acclaimed films like Heavenly Creatures uh, before he then went to become a big name director uh, with Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit films. Uh, he later then also, well, in between that sort of time, he did his take on King Kong. So this film is written by Jackson along with Stephen Sinclair and Fran Walsh. Uh, also known for scripting many of Jackson's films. The music is by Peter Descent, cinematography by Murray Milne, edited by Jamie Selkirk. It stars Timothy Baum as Lionel Cosgrove, our main character, Elizabeth Moody as Vera Cosgrove, the aforementioned mum, Diana Penn Alva as Paquita Maria Sanchez, Ian Watkin as Uncle Les, Brenda Kendall as Nurse McTavish, Stuart De Devaney as Father McGruder, and then just a whole host of Kiwi actors uh, playing the likes of zombies and civilians and all kinds of crazy things. So yeah, over to those who are joining us uh, this week. So first of all, uh, he's joined us earlier in the year talking about uh, other sort of creepy, crazy dystopia movies. It's Johan Chapal. Hello, Johan. Hi there. This is, oh God, I, it always feels like whenever there's a weird movie coming on, you have to knock on my door and you literally drag me kicking and screaming <laughs> onto this episode. Um, you told me, it's, oh, you're going to be going, oh, this is such an early time. Why are you getting me on so early since the last one? And when you moment you told me what the movie was, it's like, okay, now I know why. I know exactly why you got me on. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's one of those in which you just see what it's all about it's like this is a Johan street i think i pretty much said to you like have you seen this film have you ever discussed it 
Yeah, and uh, uh, I, I, the, I, I think I saw I think I saw this first time when I was like a teen, and I just fell in love with it ever since. So yeah, you got me the right. Yeah, you got me in here. So. See, for a moment, I thought you were talking like a traumatized man. I thought, okay, I've got a kindred spirit here, but apparently not. Okay. Well, well, the first time I watched it, when the first time I watched, it, I was traumatized. I think I got numb to the pain eventually. But uh, you'll see what I mean when we when we review it properly. Right over to uh, who else is joining us? Uh, as we've uh, mentioned, somebody else who has joined us in the past for weird, creepy movies <laughs> and uh, stuff from the past. It is our good friend, Christopher Maxwell. Hello, Chris. Hello, David. How are you? I'm good. Are you not speaking to Craig? <laughs> oh, I was just going to see how you were, and I was going to move on to Craig. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Let's be fair. I vented a lot on this episode already. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did sort of get a vibe off Craig, so I thought if I asked him how he was doing, he might it might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. <laughs> true, true. Or it might have just been that you were like, I love this film, and already you're just like, I'm, I'm just ignoring Craig. I would just love that for an episode if somebody just ignored one of the hosts. We've had that, David. <laughs> Do you want me to go Go through our repertoire and literally show you where guests have ignored me. I am reading the room as we speak. I like those bastards. I don't give a damn. <laughs> Chris doesn't do that, though. No, Chris doesn't. <laughs> no, both of you are fine. <laughs> both of you are chill. So can I assume that you're all right then, Craig? That <laughs> <laughs> uh, could be worse. <laughs> as we mentioned, Peter Jackson is the director of this film. Very much... In the early days of his career, people often talk about Lord of the Rings or you see the behind the scenes. And even Jackson himself has said, you know, like, really, you're choosing me, the guy who did, you know, Meet the Feebles and all these type of films to to make this big, like, epic trilogy. And it is even more bizarre when you look back at it now. Um, but I guess there's, you know, a bit of a conversation there to have about filmmakers from that part of the world in some ways like Taika Waititi or so you know somebody from New Zealand in terms of the type of output they have potentially but also just he is a big filmmaker which we haven't really discussed before but I guess here's a good chance to talk about those sort of early days of his career because he did make quite a, f a few of these kind of like zany comedy horror movies. Uh, Johan as you mentioned you know this is something that you've sort of covered in the past in terms of those kind of crazy zombie horror movies um, but also you said that you know you are a fan uh talk us through a bit about maybe what is the thinking at this time in in jackson's filmography what, what are people reacting to what what type of filmmaker do they think he well, is well basically around this time people know him for about three movies so bad taste which was his first feature film uh which is basically about a population of a small town that disappears is replaced by aliens and so the humans are used as flesh because they open an intergalactic food chain right you got miss you got you got meet the feebles which is like do you know you were talking about the muppets i'm surprised you did they didn't give i'm glad they didn't give you meet the feebles i'll tell you that for a fact um because it, <laughs> they, they did specifically say i won't go that far they did consider it but they said it might be a bit too much and that's the thing is even to me who loves this kind of stuff even I'm thinking, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> it's and and the whole idea, and then it goes obviously onto Brain Dead, and then it's a weird thing after that because then those are his main three films that are like all of a very similar tone, where they are they are quite literally 
batshit insane. And it's 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 almost bizarre how his 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 tone shifts from here to other movies afterwards, because movies after that he I mean he did Heavenly Creatures right after that one, and that one's nothing like the other three. And then obviously got the Frighteners, which is more like a Hollywood style version of a Peter Jackson movie around then, because it had like Michael J. Fox, and it's all about ghosts and creepy stuff to a degree, but it's more family fun. Woo, you know, before he literally makes a giant leap and does Lord of the Rings, which is so weird it's like Wes Craven decided to do a romantic comedy it's that kind of level of leap the tone here is I think this is a this is a filmmaker who was very hungry and really really wanted to stand out and you can tell by literally putting everything into it um whether it is desire and at the time I think it's he's, he purposely wanted to shock he wanted to say like oh if I'm shocking and weird and over the top and really play fun with my comedy which it shows that Peter Jackson's comedy is very renownedly he's, he's quite a dark comedian that way he loves dark comedy loves death loves just like the weird scenarios um and, and and lots of blood, which we will talk about at some point. It's it's basically him trying to establish himself in that way as just this standout director that does, hey, that's the guy who does all the weird stuff. That's the one with the weird puppety things. Oh, this is the one with the thing. That's the one with that. To Which is perfect for like a cult filmmaker in that way. It wasn't until he did something like Heavenly Creatures, which is like a which is basically a drama, really. It's a full-blown drama film where Hollywood starts coming in and going, oh, so you're not the blood guy. Okay, maybe we can give you something else. And that's a trajectory he's kind of gone ever since, going bigger, more Hollywood, more epic, and more over the top and over top in that kind of sense, where it's now, now you can't think of Peter Jackson and think of like, oh, that's the guy that does... Where he kills an entire room of people with a lawnmower. No, that's not the guy. You are the Lord of the Rings guy now. It's a huge leap. Um, I personally love his early work because it is someone who's just showing a lot of his creativity and how weird he can be. He's a big weirdo. He's a big film weirdo. And I loved him for that. And now he's still a weirdo, but now he's doing Hobbits. So it's, it, it, it yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right in the sense of like, I I never personally haven't sort of delved into his early career before. I've sort of seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and then been told that and seen clips of it and things like that. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I need to see what this is all about, you know, hearing about things like bad taste and reading about them, etc. And I think from watching this and from what I saw before, it definitely gave me the impression of like, this is somebody in the early days of his career, kind of like indie filmmaker if you want you know kind of doing that kind of like more experimental sort of like film school type ideas being big and bold crazy um and that's why i also mentioned taika watiti because it does remind me of him in some ways in that i think now probably hollywood is maybe more accepting of of kooky ideas um maybe you could also say similar to the you know the daniels now like how would somebody really say, oh, the people who made that, you know, farting corpse movie have done that like crazy multiverse film with, uh, you know, they're using all sorts of like crazy rude stuff in that. Um, so they seem to have become more accepting of it. But it's almost as if he's cut from that same sort of cloth of like the type of humor. But Taika Waititi maybe could have been caught in the trap of, you know, oh, you just do silly vampire, you know, like sort of mockumentary style films. But then he goes 
does Jojo Rabbit, which is still operating on a same silly, let's make fun of Hitler vibe, but it has got an emotional core to it, which I guess similar to the trajectory you were saying with Jackson a bit. I would have a slightly different take on my comparison between them. In the in the two examples that you gave, they are weird ideas, but I think in those situations, those are film examples where they at least took one idea and sort of built everything they could necessarily around it. Whereas the different vibes that Peter Jackson chooses for this film in particular is very much, it comes across as a guy who's afraid he's never going to get a film again. So just like throws every conceivable idea he has for this sort of zombie film all together. And there are times in which I'm just like, why has the tone of this film drastically changed? What what What's going on? Yeah, no, I don't think it's like a direct comparison, but that's why I think it's interesting about the the style of humor and things like that. Just the, the, the comedy that you seem to get for maybe even that part of the world, like that affinity for like horror and gore. And, you know, like when you look at things like Hunt for the Wilder People, which, you know, with TD's done it before as well, it's just not that that's anything similar to what we're talking about with Jackson, but again, it's that kind of affinity for humor and sort of oddball characters and sort of like more rogue stories. But, you know, it very much definitely speaks to that time of the 80s, 90s kind of like horror zombie stuff. You know, Chris, do do you think that it's kind of indicative of things like Dawn of the Dead and Army of Darkness? You know, those are some of the ones that sort of came to my mind when I'm thinking of, you know, people covered in blood and, you know, like crazy zombie antics. Well, that was it, like... you were saying you were comparing it to like Taika Waititi. I think the biggest comparison I can make with Peter Jackson is Sam Raimi. You know, this this was a director who wears his um, influences and his inspirations on his sleeve, but is also at, at the early stages of his career was willing to throw anything at the wall and take these massive risks and do wild and crazy things. Um, and you know, not all of it sticks, but I. I personally think that it's a it's a great thing to see a filmmaker do stuff like that and i think in the case of this one in particular you've done bad tastes and meet the feebles and those were those were considerably lesser budgets than this um and i I think craig said you know it felt like he he had the fear that he was never going to make another film again I, i think he was more just sort of like oh my god this is this is nuts look how much money i've got i'm gonna go mad with this um and I, I think he wanted to sort of leave a mark because it, it's almost like you know, good films come in threes, don't they? You know, and then and, and I think you know you you'll have like three if it's not a direct trilogy, it's three styles of film that you'll have. And his his first three movies are all gross out, mad slapstick comedy. And then I think when he realized, okay time to move on that's when he started doing things like heavenly creatures and the frighteners and i i i think directors like that are some of the most interesting ones to, to look out for filmmakers like toby hooper there's an example when he made texas chainsaw massacre wanting to do something nuts and, and filled with adrenaline it's a bit more it's not this, he calls it a comedy but it's very much on the darker spectrum of comedy but you can tell when he's got when you've got the free reign the creativity that they would do and i'm looking forward to talking about some of the cinematography in this because i think peter jackson more than anything nails cinematography even in this film with with his limitations i think he does some amazing work in this yeah probably some other similar ones you can mention is maybe like james gunn 
Robert Rodriguez to an extent. I think it's like you said, is that element of have, you know, I find it interesting the law of comedy people, especially we were just talking about um, Lord and Miller with the Jump Street films, because, well, even the Russo brothers as well, you know, they came from like community and stuff like that. There seems to be an affinity for that love of cinema and spectacle and, you know, cinematic filmmaking from people who originate in comedy. I think that there is an idea of like, especially when you look at people come from film schools, etc. It's an easy territory to go into something to get your ideas out there. But as you saw mature, you were like, well, now I want to do this. Now I want to do that. And I think Sam Raimi is a great example because you can see how he brings that Spider-Man. You know, he brings that love of like Superman and the sort of like kind of like big spectacle movies. But he's also like, I want to throw in a Doc Ock nightmare crazy horror sequence in the middle of Spider-Man 2. So I think that, you know, there's there's still that element to the the filmmaker there. And I think, you know, I am seeing a bit more now with Peter Jackson why, yes, some people might say, really, you know, as as we said, you chose this guy. It is a massive jump. But also, you know, it there's, you know, the the practical effects, you know, a lot of the like types of creatures and stuff you're dealing with. You, you do start to see some kind of soft connections of being like, oh, okay, I can understand maybe why that weird moment in Lord of the Rings was there now because of him. Well, to add to this just in general, you know, you have to, you have to understand that, like I mentioned at the beginning, Peter Jackson's a big weirdo. He's a big nerdy film weirdo. And so, you know, of course, at the end of the day, when you really think about it, of course he's going to do a big fantasy movie because of some, he wouldn't be surprised if he was that kind of level of film nerd and would do that kind of thing. It's... And you mentioned as well, like for example, Sam Raimi. He's he, if you want if you want to go into not the insulting way, but we're, but all film all film buffs and all comedians to a degree are all just weirdos and nerds. And so, of course, we're going to make references whenever we can. Of course, we're going to say, "Oh, I loved Evil Dead. Let's just make this entire movie my big love letter to Evil Dead. Why not?" Or this is the bit. Or you're sitting there going, "Oh, you. This is what Peter Peter Jackson was. It's it's basically New Zealand humor. But if someone just watched way too much, like." VHS nasty movies as a teenager and said, I want to make that. Well, you know, I mean, Taika Waititi something else. He's the one who's going like, well, actually, I kind of just want to make, I, I just want to make something weird and pleasant. It's, it's, it's almost like he's the guy who's probably watched way too many, like, low-budget indie movies that were just a little bit about the heart in some way. Or Peter Jackson's like, yes, blood, gore, boobs, yes! And so he goes full hog with that in, in a way that is loving and nerdy, not exploitative. Because I don't see I don't see Brain Dead as being something that's clearly exploitative in any shape or form. It's almost it's 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 more done as almost both a love letter and almost poking the hell out of it. It's wonderful in that sense. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. It's it's just like you can tell that this is as much of a uh, a parody of the genre as it is a tribute to the genre. In fact, I think that's what the the best type of parodies are are, are the type of films that where it's like. Yeah, we're all in on the joke here, but, you know, we still enjoy it. We still like this stuff. Yeah, zombies are overdone, but we still enjoy it. And, you know, it's, it's why a film like this, I would I would rate as a great parody compared to anything like, like a date movie, which is literally just, let's just do the exact same film, but put some more dick and fart jokes in it. You know, where it's like, which is funny because this film has a lot of that in it too, but there's so much more to it than just that. Yeah, this film's got loads of days to it. Chris, do you think that the kind of influence from his early films, do you think it tracks that it kind of carried on into his later career? Do you think he's still influential, like things like Brain Dead now? Or? I, I, no, I think he has changed. And I, I think... Um, 
You've changed, man. Yeah. You changed. You've changed, Jackson. You used to be all about the gore, and now you're all about the Hollywood. Um, but I, I, I think it's a difficult one with when you get when you make the transition from sort of independent film to Hollywood because clearly there's a lot of do's and don'ts when it comes to cinema cinema in Hollywood and what you can and can't do. And he definitely became more focused on the, the grandeur of cinema. But I, if there's one thing that has track, it's that Peter Jackson always goes big. And you can tell that with these first films as well. And because by the time he gets to Brain Dead, he's like, this is going to be bigger than ever. And you can see it with um, Heavenly Creatures and how he was taking all these big risks with what goes on in that film in terms of the, the fantasy world that happens in that, to the frighteners with the ghosts and, and the dream sequences. And then with Lord of the Rings, it's the even bigger fantasy. And I, I think what, what you can see with Peter Jackson is that when you give him something different to play with that's outside of his own crazy, nerdy brain, he is willing to still apply his big, dramatic, awesome cinema mind to it. Um, but it's just how much of that, how much of the source material he's getting can be really good. And I think in case of The Hobbit as well, the, the, they, they basically just said, let's just do Lord of the Rings again, but do it for The Hobbit. That's basically why those films didn't work. They just tried to repeat what he did in the early 2000s. And of course it didn't work because you're not going to repeat that. Well, the biggest travesty of it, again, especially watching Brain Dead, is the fact that he seemed such a practical puppetry guy to then be, as most people say, how could you replace the orcs with CG orcs and that kind of stuff? I think that's the biggest like sticking point for most people. And like now watching this film and looking through the early stuff, it's like, yeah, why has that guy? I can understand like the sequences and everything like that. But to replace like even characters and costumes and stuff like that, I think that is surprising. And I think it, you know, has robbed, you know, him of that kind of like creative flair in, in some ways. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, definitely th there's been been a lot of changes. It's, you know, he's a he's a big director for several reasons. As you said, they, they, he always goes big, which I think is is a good way good way of putting it i mean i mean how much bigger can you get than zombie baby i mean mm. just mm. it's oh i mean this is the thing is i didn't know about brain dead for a while until i saw until the internet came along obviously and that whole sequence was just a meme back in the early days seeing the baby do weird stuff and see the scene of this weird stuff this person just beating up a zombie baby in the park it's and the puppetry in that is so dumb and weird and quirky and the design of the puppet is just grotesque and i love it it's, it's, a, it's just so weird and wonderful to see the baby flying around just the whole thing the chaos from it is wonderful and yeah i i feel like that's peak like you can't top that personally i think <laughs> Let's start off then talking about this movie. I'll start off maybe just from the most like kind of neutral position in, in this, in that I think as kind of maybe already evident or just the way I've sort of like talked so far, I, I can definitely take the, the viewpoint of like, I can respect this as a kind of like very, it's a choice, <laughs> as we said before recording. It is a choice. Maybe not my vibe, maybe not my style of comedy. I'm not that much of a horror or a blood or gore person, so it didn't personally be, make me like, oh my God, yeah, woo, you know. But I kind of had to just like sit back and kind of go, 
this isn't for me, but I can't say like it's badly done. I just think that it's just so bold and crazy. I'm like, I've got to give my hats off just for the pure lunacy of it. And just a lot of the, you know, practical elements, like some of the models and stuff here. I love seeing like the little like model trams and things like that. You know, the performances are very elaborate, very crazy, I think. Um, and I think the fact that, they, you know, they're just all like a cast of like Kiwi characters adds to the charm of it in some ways. You know, I think that, you know, the way that they act, they go in all in, you know, especially like somebody who does that, like uncle character or the mother. There are some weird choices in this. I will say that I f***ing hate that baby. <laughs> I do not like it just pissed me off. I was like, this baby is annoying. I was like, well, I can see what you mean. I understand why it's a meme, but I was like. I could tolerate everything else in this, but this baby is annoying me. I was just like, it's just the, the laugh. <laughs> just the like, hee hee hee. I was like, oh, I want to like kill this thing, please. Which is, I, I hope it's, it's kind of the point. You're not going to look at that baby and go, you know what? You're fing adorable. No, you are yeah. a tyrant. It's kind of like a Chucky vibe for me. I think you guys were saying about like, you know, did people steal this? I was more like, I think they looked at like Chucky or whatever and just said, let's just make him like even more of like an annoying arsehole. Worse. <laughs> Yeah, I think it works really well because he's got—he's clearly got a very like childish, whiny baby voice. But then you look at it, and you're like, that thing is disgusting. What the hell is that thing? And it, it, it creates a really nice juxtaposition with what with that whole baby character, which is just the strangest thing. And and the whole concept behind it is just good lord. <laughs> but I'll say, you know, it, maybe that took me out of the experience more but 10 minutes into the film i was like watching it like craig is gonna hate this i was watching <laughs> it just knowing everything i was seeing i was like there was like in a sequence with like i was like do i warn him and then there was like a teeth sequence pulling out and i was like oh, oh yeah th yeah this is not up craig street <laughs> yeah ironically you didn't warn me until i pointed out that i was half an hour in and i was like what the hell is going on you warned me about the teeth sequence that's not e that's I was all right with the, the, the teeth sequence, surprisingly. There are things that got me worse than the teeth sequence. There's a lot worse than the teeth sequence, personally. Ironically, all the stuff with the pus got me. Like, when, uh, when she's, like, yes. pussing and it's in the custard, I was like... Yes! I, that's why oh, I was like, this is, that's potentially already happened at that stage of so, what you had said. You're half an hour in. So every time I have watched this film, I can never watch the screen at that point. It's so weird. That film, that film is filled with with viscera and and literal human digestive systems attacking people. But I that I cannot. I just couldn't do it because I love custard, man. And like, that's, <laughs> like there, there was a time where I couldn't have custard because I would get like like flashbacks, and I'd be like, uh, uh, and no. Uh. Oh, the the past is just awful. Because, like, obviously I have to respect how practically well the film is made. It's able to do things like that. It's able to have things like a woman's head effectively being cut off, but mm. still able to eat. But then when she's eating... The... Yeah, that's the... Can I, can I just get this scene out of my head now? Because this is where... My main criticism of this film, and I think the thing that sort of affects me, and the reason I say that this feels like he throws every, every conceivable idea against the wall... It's because I just I do not understand how the how like the rationale of this world necessarily works, and I think there are lots of comedies, comedy horror films that I'm able to get on board with because they essentially have like one set of rules and they respect the set of rules, 
and they just make jokes necessarily going from there, right? I can, I fine, I can respect that. But in this world, so this weird rat monkey thing causes people to like. I like the rat monkey thing. I thought the scene where they, you know, essentially capture him and they're running away from the the natives, and then he gets clawed, and they essentially have to dis dismember the guy. I thought, okay, that's quite that's you know quite effective yeah um, interestingly that's where i watched that i was like okay i think craig might be all right with this yeah. and then there was a later bit i was like oh this is where i started to doubt what i was thinking yeah it's then to the point of like when it's at the zoo you know this thing is dangerous why on earth have you given it open bars where it can just freely like rip the arms off of monkeys <laughs> and like just fit its head through the bars to bite the visitors why does no one then take the woman who's been clearly bitten by this weird demonic rat thing? Why does no one take her to the hospital? Like, why Get a did... tetanus shot or something. Yeah, yeah. like tetanus is a... But then, anyway, that's all like, fine, whatever. And then it's like the... And it's obviously like, like she's zombifying. She needs to eat meat. So she's, you know, stealing steaks. She's swallowing dogs whole, which leads oh. to my least favorite line of the film. Which was your mother ate my dog. Well, it's a great line. No. <laughs> no, it's like well, not all of it. I'm like, what a callous <laughs> bastard! But like, it's so fine. good. So ah, she's sorry, so we got to the point where these zombies are carnivorous. I get that. Yeah. And then you know, because like more of them have developed because of the graveyard scene. I will say that great that that anti grave digging mug gang. I kind of do like. <laughs> There's just not enough of them in the film. But it's then when he's got them all around the dinner table trying to feed them. And at no point are any of them trying. I'm like, what are the rules of this world? Why are you no longer trying to eat this guy? Why is it that now zombies f***? Um, zombies f***ing? Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, so you, uh, it's, I, I just like, yeah, that bit's great. Because it's the bit where the uncle goes in and looks and says, like, oh, so you found your dad's secret stag movies, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, just... Is that the one with the donkey and the chambermaid? Yes! <laughs> that was... <laughs> I mean, I will say, there are two things in this film that did make me laugh. One was the yeah. fact that they had the Archers soundtrack in, or just an episode of the Archers. Oh, yes! <laughs> and then the other one, and I'll tell you what my actual favourite line of the film is. It's from the graveyard scene. It's um, with the father where he says, Yes. I, I kick, kick ass, ass for the Lord. Lord. I've got that written down, yeah. It's, I it is, yeah. love that scene. And just the only fighting he does is just a series of roundhouse kicks. It's He's just, so I, good at it, though. It literally was like a Tekken game. It was like the, the sound <laughs> effects even were like... <laughs> it was quite oh. impressive. And that that is to the element of like, let's throw everything in here. And just because at that point I was like, oh, wow, okay, we're, we're going there. It was... It was quite crazy. It just doesn't come off as cohesive unless you're a fan of the genre. Well, that's the thing is, even if you're a fan of the genre of movies, this movie does throw left turns. I mean, I mean, you don't expect halfway through the movie to have a kung fu sequence, for example, <laughs> right? You Especially don't expect from that. the vicar. Especially from the vicar, right? <laughs> At the beginning of the, the beginning of the film is the beginning of the film is very obviously tribute to like the old monster movies of the nineteen thirties and forties. Then you've got the two characters as clearly the relationship between 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 our character and the mother is very much psycho related. It's very much like I'll get psycho. to that later, but carry on. Uh, you know, and then and then and then it's like a love little cutesy little thing, and it's like a there's a bit of a slapstick slapball comedy, and then the monkey comes in. 
in and it's a different genre now and then it's this thing and it's this thing if you do not overthink the fact that every 10 minutes you're going to get something really random don't think it just embrace the fact that this entire thing is nonsense and my God, you're just on a roller coaster of emotions and you laugh every five seconds knowing that what the fudge is happening here. What you're saying Round of applause. is, I needed to be warned. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have been said like, boy. Well, there yeah. was the previous episode as well. I think Charlie did say some things as to it, but again. I don't think it was ever established that the the reason I should be weary of this film <laughs> is because it's just going to, it's just going to quantum leap genre every now and then. <laughs> Not just quantum leap, but go through multiple multiverses on the way back. Yeah, I think the logic and stuff, it is strange. Like like you said, I think I was thinking the same thing. Why is, not, why is the mother not getting seen to more seriously? I think maybe they could have been a bit more clear about the time frame of this film. Because like you said, when that graveyard thing was happening, I was like, why are they a bunch of like mod, you know... <laughs> people like in this film and then by the end i was like seeing all the cars more and more i was like oh this is like the 50s or something yeah like i that. also didn't know that so i think that like that becomes more clear then as the film goes on because even though it's got the old timey radios and tvs you don't know if that's just a stylistic choice of kind of being like oh it's all cutesy and like oldie worldy or just the fact it's like the mother's house so yeah exactly um so i think that yeah that makes it you know not so much confusing because i think that you know it's a very simple story um, and look to it from the get-go anyway. But it is bizarre where, you know, again, it's it's hard because it is meant to be like a bizarre comedy as well. But when she's like, you ate my dog, and then literally like two seconds later, she's fine. She doesn't care. She's like, they're like, yeah, I'll get you stuff for the hospital. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'm like, what happened to the anger? <laughs> the thing that bothers me more about her is the fact that she literally lets a fortune teller dictate her love life so the moment well, then that- again the fortune teller is is her mother <laughs> so it's like yeah, but mommy like, if my mother said this is the the person you're gonna date i'm gonna i'm not gonna be like all right i'll look exactly for someone like that then i'd be like keep out you nosy bitch <laughs> i think the stylist i think the stylistic choice there though does kind of work in the sense of like you know having these kind of larger than life characters you know oh she's a woman who's like looking for love and anything that she then sees as the hint of like this is the man you have to be with she's kind of chasing that so they set that up from the beginning they set up the well they set up the whole kind of like there's something with the mother and the son and you know like well no no that's what i'm saying you know the whole thing with his the father and it's very rushed at the end, you know, like spoilers for the end of the movie. But then when he's very much bringing up this whole like, you killed that lady and my dad. I was like, whoa, you really are just throwing this in at the end. And I was It's a like, murder mystery now. It's yeah. a revenge tale. Yeah. So I kind of appreciated that for the kind of character arc. But it was very like, I was like, oh, I wasn't even considering that there might have been an old, you know, a, a sinister motive to the father dying or the mother or anything like that. So it kind of made things make more sense. But I think that entire final act to me is kind of more the kind of made sense of the movie in the sense of it's kind kind of skit like, like you were saying, in terms of genre bending. But it is also just like, imagine if this happened. Imagine if there was this zombie. Imagine if somebody died in this way. Imagine if somebody's head was cut in half and they were still like sliding around the place. I think that final oh, act God, to me the was kind blood of like, skating scene. Yes! I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was fun. Um, oh, so much blood. So much blood. Um, that, that's the only thing that David warned me about. After I already explained about probably about 50 minutes into the film, he just says, yeah, the last, the last, 30 minutes is literally just a bloodbath. Yeah. 
And I had to resist the to me- message back. It's like, you were not kidding. Ah, oh, but yeah. If, 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 if going back to that, I think what mess, the way I, reason why I, got, I liked it more as I got older is because I didn't try to watch this as a cohesive movie. I know it's going to sound wrong because you guys have, it's, I'm assuming it's the first time you guys have watched yes, this. Yeah. Yes, yes it so, is. <laughs> so this basically meant then this is a, co- you're watching as cohesive. If, you, if I watch it as segments, as scenes, but individually in their own structure, they all are funny and weird and quirky out loud moments. Like it's it's something like League of Gentlemen level of weird. I or, was thinking of League of Gentlemen actually. Which... Cool. I also do not like that show. Yes, exactly. So yeah. it's that, you know, like when, when, you know, with the zombies, let's say, especially like the zombies having dinner scene, that's very much something that they can come out from that left field or having these weirdo characters just be extra weird and for the sake of it. Or some of the, the hammy wouldn't it be funny if this person was tortured and again it's down to that person whether they're like is that funny you know it's but that's the league of gentlemen humor is that that is funny isn't it It, it's also just the over elaborate acting like i love i love our latina lover i love her so very much uh to the point but her her acting is purposely hamming over the top saying like you know saying lines like but 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 we're romantically entangled what a line um you know it's my favorite was uh, dark forces are amassing against you (laughs) dark forces (laughs) so good it's so purposely hammy like she feels like she's from a completely different movie and it's true like she feels like so out of place under the last 20 minutes where she's actually helping them get rid of the bodies by shoving arms and legs down a blender you know it's you know before then she's like literally like you're not from this movie you're not you don't you know you're not really fit in this movie you go away for now and then she comes back and just becomes a it's wonderful it's every every character almost feels like they come from their own universe but they're all somehow shoved into this thing and some people fit and some people don't but eventually there is a place for them despite them sometimes just being introduced once and then they're instantly killed off. Doesn't matter. <laughs> they have a purpose. Well, I think because you mentioned like the archers and we're talking about, you know, again, maybe it is just me being kind of ignorant and thinking of like that part of the world. You think of like neighbors and home and away, you know, in terms of Australia. <laughs> but some of the actors give me that vibe. Like the mother to me seemed like, oh, imagine if you saw like Vera from Coronation Street suddenly become like this weird zombie. That's what the vibe I was getting. I, of, like, I somebody... don't want to think of that given what, <laughs> given what the mother looks like by the end of the film. So I'm thinking yes. like it is that kind of vibe of like imagine these actors like playing these parts. For reference, I've seen David's notes. He hasn't seen mine. We both have notes to talk about the physicality of what the mother looks like by the end. And Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, well, what do you? What's your take on the story and the characters of of this movie? So yeah, the, the, you, I think you sort of touched on it. Then actually, this whole vibe of like the that sort of almost like that old sort of family comedy style thing, situational sort of drama, and then you just throw zombies into it. And I think that's why it's so absurd. Is is you've taken a sort of what could be a daytime television program about a, a son of finding out about his mother murdering his father. But then if they said, oh yeah, but we're gonna put the zombies in it too. Uh, oh, a love story between two people who are romantically entangled by fate, but there's zombies in it too. And it just becomes this whole, I, I, I love it because it's daft as all hell. Like I, I went into this thinking like, this is, this is the thing I thought it was going to be just a, a daft violent movie and it is violent as hell but I, I think it's a great film I think it's very funny I think it, it's uh, got great 
like I mentioned before, great cinematography, great filmmaking. And although like um, it sometimes just feels like we are just moving from like sketch to sketch or scene to scene of doing wild and crazy stuff, there is a really funny through line going through it. And it's, you know, um, the breakdown of his relationship with his family. And, you know, there is a love story there. And one thing that I, I love towards the end, and I, I only noticed it when I watched it again the other day, was at the end, he throws the medallion away. And I think that's sort of a symbol like, something, yeah, it's no more fate, it's no more destiny, we decide this. And although it's very, I, it's very cheesy, I actually really appreciated that because by the end, of, up until that point, all the stuff her mother was predicting was coming true. He was surrounded by death and there was horribleness around him, but they do end up falling in love with each other. It just happens to be, you know, after an entirely massive ordeal of blood violence and being eaten by his mother's womb, um, <laughs> which is, that is, my God, one of the most terrifying <laughs> bits in the entire film is, is that just like, you'll always be loved by your mother, Lionel. It's, oh love my comes God. from trauma. That would have that we've learned from this. Love comes from horrible, horrible trauma, trauma. and maybe yeah. it's not well, not well beyond trauma. It's just you have to. You just sometimes you just got to be. You just got to get sucked back into a womb to realize <laughs> you don't need to be in there anymore. Yeah, it was a great, yeah, literal visual metaphor for that because I think that is one thing I appreciated of the ending is again that kind of stand, like you said, Chris, is that cheesiness of you've seen in other movies of like I'm not scared of you anymore. That kind of standing up moment, yeah, that because of the performance and the music and the visuals that did work really well for me. And I think the other moment in which that messaging becomes very clear is the funeral scene in which like the reverend is making a speech about like. Uh, parents or like you know motherhood and stuff and you literally are then seeing him like rolling around with his like dead mother and you're like oh okay I now see what you were you're referencing because I think up until that point I was like a bit like Craig I was like why are you trying to hide the zombies why are you still like it was like almost like a Mr. Bean-esque like reaction of being like oh well I need to like keep um sort of giving them this tranquilizer I'm like just burn them or something just tell people about it like I thought it was going to be the zombies got released and then he just felt guilty about it and was trying to stop the breakout but no it becomes this weird situational comedy in which like uh oh man has to like and again hide zombies but he, he didn't make them he didn't create them and the thing is I would have been completely on board with this if when she was alive i i genuinely got that sense of everything that he did he was worried about the perception of his mother and i think there's only really one scene where that happens and i didn't really get the get the vibe of i didn't really get the psycho vibe of oh he's just so obsessed with his mother and Mm -hmm. Vice versa. I think they needed to do more of just showing her being overbearing. That's why I was a bit like, "Wait, you are a mummy's boy since what? Yeah. Since when? You yeah. seem to you seem to get on a date perfectly fine. Like, well, you yeah. say you that, seem, but he's you seem awkward to... as balls. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he was scared about like what she would do, like if you found him with a date. But yeah, I think they could have been clearer about like she had an issue with him going on a date and things like that. It just seemed like he was kind of. They a also just boy. seemed exactly well, like when she was talking about like the. The is it W I W I, the W A W A. I can't. Yeah. Remember. Oh, W L W L. Sorry. W L W L. It just seemed like he was exasperated at that point. He acted in such a sort of like, okay, mom, that's sort yeah, of yeah. like I'm just dealing with you, but I'm still doing my own thing. It never actually seemed like the 
like the I'm exasperated, but I'm going I'm going along with this because this is what you want. So that's why I was a bit confused by that dynamic later on. I was just like, mm, yeah, they could have like opened the film with like the whole drowning thing as opposed to the monkey thing, I suppose. But but yeah, Chris, anyway, <laughs> go back to what yeah. you were saying. I think it's, it's weird because like, there is that scene where uh, Paquita finds all the bodies and then he has a revelation of why he doesn't want to kill her because it's his mum. Because I think he, the, the whole thing I said, I think he does still love his mum despite her being a massive pain in his ass. And obviously, the revelation of the bodies, it does come really, although the revelation of the murders comes really late in the film. And that's what makes his, his transformation so wild. But also, I, I think he's got a really funny character arc. And I, I, I love the scene with the lawnmower, just him arriving and being like, party's over. I think it's such a great moment as well because it's, you know, everyone would be like a chainsaw if it was any other film, but a lawnmower is perfect. I think as much as the story between him and his mum is very strange, it's it's done to add to the absurdity of the film because it's an absurd movie. And I I think it just makes the situation seem even more, even more absurd. Like like I don't think this film would have worked if these were just rando zombies. You know, um, it, it, it had to be a family member. It had to be someone close to him. And then, and obviously there's the whole thing of like, right off the bat, she kills the nurse. So that's one other thing to deal with. And then that's such a mass, mad death as well. Just fingers through the face and then just snap her head off. Um, and that infection spreads fast as well. Oh my gosh, you thought 28 days later was a fast infection spreading. This infection spreads really fast. Um, so I think I think with Lionel, it's like his sort of journey is how much he loves and cares for his mother versus how he should really just let all this go before it goes too far. And unfortunately, you know, his uncle turns up, and that's another mitigating factor, is that his uncle clearly he doesn't care about any of this. He just wants the house and the money and he puts Lionel in a hard place. And then he, and then of course he brings all the people around, which turns the whole situation into an even worse scenario. So it's just, a, it's a series of unfortunate events that are all hilarious and over the top and lead to just gore violence and brilliant comedy moments and some weird comedy moments. Like that one guy who, um, <laughs> He says, he, he says to the punk, um, oh, I'm sorry, I call this person a pedophile. And then later in the film, he, he just, some of our best friends are pedophiles. <laughs> what a weird joke to land on. That end. is a weird joke. In <laughs> so weird. It, did I, how did I miss those lines? Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. It's like there's two random references to pedophiles. Yeah. <laughs> the vet is really strange as well like again with like the drool and stuff the German vet yeah Yeah. and that's what reminded me of League of Gentlemen let's talk about then like I said those bizarre the practical effects the visuals of this because like like we've all said you know it really goes hell for leather at the end and i think it does become just a showcase of like as you see with other films well now what if this happened now what if that happened what if this happens i think the standout one to me 
is the light bulb one. That I was thought, great. I loved that. I thought that looked so good. Like some stuff you're like, that looks like, well, I think actually thinking about it, most stuff does look pretty good for what, you know, maybe budget and the fact it's all done practically. It, it looks fantastic, most of it, especially like Craig said, the neck thing. You know, the mother, you know, just in terms of like the bulging and stuff, maybe, you know, you're like, and the baby, when like the baby runs away, you're like, that's clearly, a, you know, a, a smaller person just in a costume. And, and like you said, Johan, with the like flapping around in the park. I'd, al- uh, I'd also say anything which involves anyone like having to move fast, I don't think looks quite as good. So uh, the the one torso when he's on the top of the blade having to spin around, I don't yeah. think looks quite that good. The baby, when it flies into the door and then gets smacked back, I think looks a bit cheap. But everything else I will defend yeah. on a practical the, level. The bulb thing is just that warmth from it. It just looks incredible. Like, I'm like, you could get like a tattoo of that. It looks so I good. I would not get a tattoo of that. <laughs> yeah. You're insane. <laughs> not you. Well. But somebody I would get that as a jack-o'-lantern, though. So yes. put that, put yeah, that, put that on your front garden for, for Halloween. But I think <laughs> it's, it's the way that they think about the the kind of setup of everything like when she moves and it's like the wires then like when something else happens and like the wiring is affecting where she is and stuff like that you know i think another one of my favorites is the baby splitting the head open well yeah that's like part of the like poster i think isn't it that's an i think that's incredible i think that's such a good and as well because she the girl's just passed away and it's very quiet and then yeah just like the tearing of the head—I think that's an incredible effect—and and that's a, and that's and that's also a character beat because you know that she's actually just like she's she's the nice one mm. for the movie, and then son and when she dies, like oh no, she's gonna turn. Oh no, she doesn't even get a chance to turn. The baby does it instead. What an yeah. asshole! Like you, you don't you, you don't get like the, oh no, she's gonna turn. She never does. Mm. Is that, which is a lie she said like i'm not she actually says just be like a few minutes beforehand there's no i'm not going to turn she never turns because the baby does it instead yeah Chekhov's victim <laughs> yes even the guy with like the half head like it's, i thought that I was like this looks really effective and stuff and when he goes into the blender and stuff and there's some weird like the intestines like with the face thing i was like that this was is a bit weird. stupid this this is is wonderful the killer does it, like, fart at some point it has like it's ass oh, yeah because at one point because yeah. it's literally the the rectum yeah i was like wow <laughs> the killer digestive system is one of the freakiest things ever and just the fact that it makes farting noises that's and... what i do I like the concept of like where zombies usually okay what is the limit to what will kill a zombie you know do you you know decapitate it do mm. you burn it whatever but i do like the idea of like this living organism of like literally it's like made it's everything alive like literally mm. if like you know a f- piece of skin was alive like that is still able to turn itself into something so i think it's it's almost it's very supernatural in that sense it's almost it's gone beyond the monkey it's gone beyond like just a, a bite from <laughs> yeah. skin. it's extraterrestrial well, you know it's clever because like you know you've seen it with like evil dead with the the hand comes to life so what, what what other parts of the body could come to life? And and he went, oh, it's got to be the guts. It's got to be all of the guts. And it, it's the fact that it's it does make the face. And then before he kills it, you can see it like on the floor going, eh, praying at him like, don't yeah. kill me. <laughs> it's oh, such God. a good moment. I mean, was it one of the interesting bits about how the zombies die in this is like, it's not just 
decapitate the head because there's a whole sequence where there's a headless zombie and so they put a, a garden gnome in it that's um, yeah that was the that was the bit that made me laugh was just like the uncle's reaction to that just seeing the like gnome on the head i was like wow that's it turns out you got it you, you have to dead space it you have to yeah. you either have to have they have to have no limbs of any yeah. kind in order to kill him off i can't believe how effective that uncle actually was with just dealing with the majority of the zombies yeah, well, that's that, that like massacre moment in which again, that's this? like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the a really funny nice. bit with him. There's a really funny bit with him and, and Lionel when Lionel punches him and then he attacks Lionel. He literally rams him with his head. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He just runs it and then he just like like a cartoon character. That was the only thing that was aw- awkward about the situation. It was like, how do we get them back down into the basement? He rams him into the basement. Oh, like now, like somebody else, like rescues them from the basement. It was like constantly, how do you get back to the basement? But but the uncle, yeah, he was very effective at being that kind of very like. You don't like him, but he's a very bold, brash character. Just wish they didn't do so many dick punt moments with him, though. <laughs> After a while, I was just like, guys, you've gotta you've gotta focus on somewhere else i always like that hollywood trope though of or what do you call it hollywood but that film trope of like guy who wears wig and must have wig fall off and some kind of punishment for wearing a wig or like the wig must like be shamed in some way <laughs> like you know the wig is on you know an intestine or whatever ah but wonderful one of the things you said actually chris that got me into is like he's a cartoon character if you look at it like that and say right this everyone here is a live action looney tune character it just you, you, you even you allow it you allow even more the nonsense if you think like if you basically think a Lionel's sort of like sort of a uh, he, he's a he's a Bugs Bunny character by the end of it you're like okay this makes sense but but now I want to imagine like a remake with where all the characters are just replaced by Looney Tunes instead oh gosh I'd <laughs> just, love to see that <laughs> look it, it would mean we would be seeing what what is the name of like the grandmother character in Looney Tunes, because that's who we're going to essentially be seeing. Granny, just Granny, yeah. yeah. We're just going to be seeing Granny, like, like turn, like naked zombie, sagging tits, huge ass out of nowhere. Ted out, Ted. Porky Pig is also the is definitely the priest. I kick ass for the Lord. That thing you can imagine that one thousand percent. Taz, Taz would have a field day, you know, as the lawnmower, essentially, you know, at the end. But just let him loose as I go. You know, do you have happen. any standouts or practical effect moments? Have we mentioned a lot of them? Or you know? my favorite one is obviously my favorite one because it's so random is the kung fu scene. But it's also the fact that this one priest literally knocks off every limb of this yes. one modder guy, and it's amazing because he literally goes for the legs. Just read. And the thing is, something about these zombies that I did get is that they are literally made out of like goo. They yeah, are so yeah. soft. So, I mean, like any force, legs fall off, lose the legs. So, or, or like lose the arms and starts using them as nunchuck just to whack the other guy, flings the head up, flings it right up in the air. And then the irony of it all is that he gets bitten by the head he kicked off. Yeah. The 
irony of it all and, and that image with like the music when he's like on the statue and everything i think what also you could tell from the zombies is the carnivorous aspect of like later on when it's just like we're literally gonna rip out your rib cage or like that guy who has like his legs like all gone and it's not just like the typical i'm half a person it's the fact that you can still see half his body but then you just see you know like bone legs and like boots and you're like whoa that looks creepy and weird as hell because i guess there's a kind of like almost you're like oh, yeah i can imagine that happening to an extent you know in terms of like like a really bad accident or something yeah it's yeah you're right about that it's like it doesn't they don't want to well they do want to like kill them obviously but they are looking to eat them first <laughs> but but maybe that it's it, they're almost like oh i've had a little bit and then they run off to something else leaving them to all come back to life and like in the party scene which is why there's not a lot of like just like pieces there's like there's no like pieces they're not like let's rip them up into shreds they just want to nibble enough to they're happy about it and then they all come back and they make friends they make out and have sex right in the middle of the thing for example with the priest and the nurse which i still don't get but it is quality um <laughs> okay take those cassettes rewind them and play them again because it's time for vhs corner so this week, because we thought, you know, being on a couple of episodes with us with uh, a lot of the gory details, a lot of the sort of weird horrors, we thought this time we would ask Johan if he wanted to dive into this film deeper to tell us some of the interesting tidbits. Had nothing to do with the fact that I didn't want to touch this film, nothing to do with that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so Johan, tell us a little bit about what you found. All right, then. So let me just browse through my massive collection of VHSs to find exactly all the information you're going to need. So let's rewind that, shall we? So there's a couple of interesting things, first of all. Like this movie, as most people may or may not know, this has been labeled as one of the bloodiest films ever made. Uh, to the point that the final scene used 300 litres of fake blood. 300 litres of fake blood. And the lawnmower was shooting thing was shooting blood at about five gallons per second. So you can imagine by that point that, yeah, the entire movie, whoo, lots and lots of blood. The movie was originally going to be 4.5 million um, New Zealand dollar dues, but was sort of stripped back to be about only 3 uh, million uh, dollar dues. Um, they used certain ways in order to save money. Like, for example, when most people were shooting 35 millimeter, Peter Jackson decided to go on Super 16 so they can use all of the money for visual effects, which I, you can clearly see in that. To the point that they went under, he actually ended up having 45,000 New Zealand dollar dues at the end of it. And the scene they shot was the baby in the park scene. It was never intended to be in the movie. This was a literally a last minute moment. So they shot that in two days and clearly, and then he, and he's gone off to say that it is his favorite scene he's ever done. Now, some of you smart people out there may have already noticed that there is, that Peter Jackson is a well-known aficionado of, the, of some of the classic movies. So the movie does officially start on Skull Island, which is officially the, ne the name of the island in King Kong. And so, far, the, so clearly this is, to some degree, this is canon. But the wonderful irony of that all is that it does end up being that he does end up making a King Kong movie in 2005. So it's gone full circle circle with that now there are some unique titles different alternative titles to uh 
to to uh, brain dead. Obviously, there is dead alive from the United States, and the reason why is because there was already a movie out called Brain Dead in 1990 with a gap in the middle of it, and they didn't want to confuse anybody, so they said, "Okay, you're dead or alive. You're dead alive now." But in other countries, they have some more unique ones. Like for example, the translation for the Hungarian uh, title of the movie was basically it's equivalency. It can't, I can't remember how to pronounce the word, but it's equivalency of cool basically the title of the hungarian is called cool but the combination of that is good as dead so in other words then the movie is just called dead good right but my favorite one is the spanish title which i will pronounce because your hablas un poquito espanol is tu madre se ha comido, ha comido a mi perro in other words the literal translation of your mother ate my dog so in spain they literally use that as the title now, one final little bit of note is we already talked about already that this is a very, the, the bloodiest film ever made. But in terms of different kinds of versions of them, there were a few. Some countries didn't ban them, like in Canada, it was strict down to 90 minutes. America actually had quite a bit shaved off and so on. But the Brits... The Brits, we loved it so much. The BBFC loved the film so much and found the gore so comical and inoffensive that they were seriously considering granting the movie a 15. But in the end, they decided to go for just to go for an 18 just for the sheer amount of it. In other words, they found the gore to not be uh, gratuitous and nasty. They just found it so funny that they wanted more people to see it, but they couldn't justify the amount of blood. So that's why that movie was an 18 at that point. So yeah, that's a bit from that. One final little thing, just I've just asked. I was researching this. I just found this really, really funny. Um, when this came out in 1992, it was a bit of a financial bomb in most places, except in New Zealand, where on its home turf, this movie earned more per screen than Batman Returns. And so, on that solid note, that is what I found on my trivia for Brain Dead. Awesome. I love the the first one in the sense of we're now in summer season in terms of like, you know, the whole battle of Oppenheimer versus Barbie. And I don't know if you've seen recently that Barbie apparently caused a shortage of like pink paint or color because they used that much pink on the sets and everything and like so i'm like is this the equivalent for red you know like they use that much blood like gallons of blood there's like barbie's using up all the pink and brain dead's using up all the red and the blood it's 300 liters for just the end scene on its own just the final scene was 300 liters you can imagine the rest of the movie yeah i just i was gonna give this film credit it was like Wow, with all those practical effects, you you didn't spend all of it. That's amazing. And then you say the rest of the money went on that park scene. I'm like, oh, well, you've lost my... You lost the bit of respect you just gained in 10 seconds. I was going to say, actually, that scene stood out to me in the sense you guys were talking about it being like a sketch or, you know, like segments. And that to me was the weirdest in the sense it literally faded out, I think. Did it like fade out and then fade back in? I was like, oh, I'm not used to seeing this in like a film. Usually that's left for like television. So that makes it even more evident that, yeah, it wasn't planned to be in there. And it is just this really weird random moment that they put in there because it is like why is he taking the baby like out in a stroller and it's like but okay if peter jackson if it's one of his favorite things he's ever done sure you know power to you i'm also impressive that when you were when you were saying the spanish title because of the spanish i did at school i remembered enough of it that when you were saying that the title was like to madre i was like 
why why have you made the title your mother something <laughs> oh for god's sake i love how they go for like the literal thing where it's like your mother your mother ate my dog personally if you watch the outer title going god damn what the hell you would have to watch it i'm just yeah, but curiosity and then you after a while you just be like okay we're past the dog why am i still here <laughs> you beat you beat to the 30 minute mark oh you could always go more than dog <laughs> and they do sadly the the mother is obviously a big part of it but it's not like she's not like the the entire centerpiece of the film like emotionally well, she, yeah. she, she, she kind of is well, okay, she turned into a weird zombie rat yeah thing. but again it's not like she's not like the godzilla it's not like she's the one again <laughs> like she's not the, she is she does go kaiju at the end but it's not she she's not the only creature that's what i'm saying so it's like it's not the mother is the monster it's like a bunch of zombies so that's the only thing i would say about that title but you know i can understand when when you're there like struggling for titles just take a part from the film just take a line from it that always works can i ask you guys a question about uh, how you watched it did you watch this on dvd or did you watch it on streaming well, the reason I wanted to bring this up, but on the DVD version I've got, it starts with um, uh, sort of it, you know, the New Zealand Film Board. And the, the way the New Zealand Film Board used to be at that time was it would show you the New Zealand flag and then it would play the uh, God Save the Queen and it would show it would show footage of, of the Queen riding on the horse in front of Buckingham Palace. And I thought to myself, I bet she would love to be associated with this film. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's, on, she's on the IMDb credits. <laughs> Interesting factor on, yeah. on that because that was literally how it started off. That's that that was original footage from that time. Uh, but that if throughout the movie, there's loads of references to them to the Queen. In fact, at one scene, Lionel actually turns a picture of the Queen around yeah. so it doesn't get covered in blood. So <laughs> I think Peter Jackson at that point going, Oh, why do we always have to start off with the Queen? Let's just poke fun of the fact that we have to start with the Queen. I was thinking so, that during it, because like, yeah, where I watched it online, it didn't have the film board aspect but i did think in my head this seems like the type of thing you would do that because it's you know funded in new zealand and everything like that so it seems that they would have like funded by the new zealand film board which is funny because it's then such a like oh my god you know government money has been spent on this or whatever but yeah the fact is then the queen and everything as well that's even more hilarious yeah but yeah that leads us now then to the movie vault uh so for anyone new uh, we'd like to think of this as a time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future. Uh, so should Brain Dead or Dead Alive, depending on where you're situated, from 1992 gain the honour of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? This is definitely going to be an interesting one, very much like what we've had in the past few months of uh, controversial films. I'm going to go with Johan first, just possibly because he's like the biggest fan, I feel, maybe. Okay, so to me, I do think... I do think if it was me, just just me, I'm the only person ever. Yes, of course, you go in the vault. But I... It, and the reason why I would go, I would go in the vault because of the sheer fact that it is so gory, but in the way that is so comical that it reaches splatter comedy levels. Like, it's so ridiculously wonderful for that aspect. But I don't know whether or not everyone else is going to feel the same way. And so if I was going to make it do it like everyone and their grandmother should watch this... I would say no. This is one of those movies where you've got to be like, you've got, it's like, so are you in a special mood? Come over here, have some wine, have some popcorn and enjoy this mess. Um, and I think 
because of the fact that what people only really remember from this movie, although I've watched it so many times and I know things inside out, it is quotable, but it is the the weirdness, the bombasticness, but they but everything else people just forget or get annoyed at. So it isn't perfect. Um, it's perfect for me because I like silly nonsense and I still think the zombie baby is the best thing ever made. But I, out of my own better judgment, despite me loving this film forever and ever, I don't know. I don't know whether it should go in the vault for the fact that I think it would be, it would, it's only a crowd pleaser for a small niche bunch of people who are okay with seeing limbs being used as nunchucks. So, uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say okay, no. I know, okay. right? Completely controversial what I just said. But yeah. I'm saying no. Interesting. Okay. Because, yeah, I was thinking, do I go at, like, you know, possibly the most love and the most hate straight after? But maybe I not. love how you had you gestured your hands completely in the wrong direction. <laughs> well, once you, I went. you gestured love towards me. And I'm like, what are you doing? Chris, then, what what do you think? Let's uh, this get another perspective here without a polar opposite. <laughs> okay, so th- this film it has basically become so famous for a multitude of reasons, the biggest one being that this is one of Peter Jackson's films, and everyone knows who Peter Jackson is because, let's be real, he may very well have directed the greatest trilogy cinema has ever seen. I mean, I wouldn't personally call myself a Lord of the Rings fan, but I can see that those films are arguably the three best set of films ever made. Um, not maybe mine, but the whole world seems to think that. And at a certain point, you've got to bend the knee to that opinion. But for me, this film is a fantastic example of why you should put faith in independent filmmakers and filmmakers who have crazy ideas and are passionate and also don't take themselves that seriously. I look at a film like this in the same way that I look at a film like The Evil Dead, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Terminator. Yes, they're films of a certain genre and they appeal to a certain fan base, but they are so out there and so engaging and so exciting. And what they ended up creating from that, whether that be sequels, or an entire career for certain people, it's emblematic of why we need to have faith in young filmmakers and why we need to have faith in new people making cinema and new people doing something and taking these risks. We talked about it earlier. Peter Jackson may have been bitten by the Hollywood uh, bug and and the problem with that is the side effect is sometimes stuff looks very generic and feels generic. So much to the point that the Hobbit trilogy just doesn't feel any different to what he did with Lord of the Rings. And maybe that's more of an indictment on Hollywood, but to me, I think it shows the ideas of when you give someone the passion, the freedom to try and be creative, to take these wild risks and do these things, sure, it might be a niche film, but it's a bloody good one. And it's, a, it's, it's so good and it still lives on to this day and people still talk about this and they still reference it. And it, to me, for that alone, it goes in the vault because we need more people, more, more arts councils and more people to put faith in people like Peter Jackson because you never know. The guy that makes a film about his mum trying to eat him with her own womb could go on to make the three greatest films ever made. You're damn right this film's going in the vault. 
That was beautiful. Uh, yeah, I know. I don't think I've ever heard such an impassioned speech <laughs> on all good movies. You did, mi- you did miss the opportunity, though, Chris, to say he's bitten by the Hollywood bug. He's bitten by the Hollywood Sumatran sum- rat monkey, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, oh. it's impassioned, definitely. Okay, Craig. You <laughs> can't <butt>. do that. <laughs> this is what you do for a living. I'll go step outside for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's look at the ways in which we could categorize this film into the vault. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can necessarily say this is the greatest Peter Jackson film because it's up against Lord of the fucking Rings. <laughs> right? That's just not happening. So it's not going to go in on those grounds. It's is it going to go in grounds of like the greatest one of the greatest horror films ever? No, because there are not only are there just like more striking horror that just just gets people down to the core, but also insofar as comedy horror, I think there are probably more in, influential. So it's not going to go in on like those grounds. Technical wise, I think this is where we have to have the discussion. Cinematography. I, I agree with what was said earlier. Um, I, Chris said it. I said there were uh, some great cinematography moments, even though that the technicality of it was limited. I, I agree. There's some great shots there. But again, I think, unfortunately, because other makers have had, you know, more expertise, more tech, technical access and money, basically, they have made better striking. And so nobody looks at this film and thinks about it in cinematography basis. So it's just down to practical effects, which I think is definitely where the film is at its strongest. And the leaning for where I could advocate for it necessarily going in, because I think some of the practical effects of this film are fantastic. Do I advocate for it to go in on those grounds? No, because there is a degree to which I think in order for a lot of the practical effects to have the strongest element for me in the film, it needs to be able to utilize the other aspects of the film in order to be able to draw me in. I've already established that a lot of the comedy I wasn't able to get on board with because I didn't get a, a right sense of the world. I, I think you have to understand the way in which it's going to go for the genre jumping. Otherwise, it just looks like it's going for random effects necessarily. I was not able to get on board with this. There are elements of this film that just genuinely did lose me. Um... To that point, I don't think it is a well-constructed, well-constructed film. And I think that it honestly would have been better as like a TV series, essentially, if it's going to go for like sort of episodic uh, genre feels different from different uh, moments, at which point I don't think it works well as a film, which means I don't think it should go in the vault. So that's me saying I think there are good elements of this film, not, you know, completely pissing on everyone's dreams, like that guy pissed on his mother's grave, uh, or the mother's grave even. I just don't think it's a good film. Which, by the way, is probably a better dick joke than the uncle stuff when... Yeah, the, you know, I agree. <laughs> I, you could see where it was going, but like... Random factoid on that one, by the way, uh, the uncle gets hit in the nuts five times. Okay, yeah, I think, yeah, this has been a great discussion, as I said, and I think the it's it's great when we have these like different approaches and opinions about a film like this without it just being like yeah it's definitely awful it definitely goes in here's where i'm thinking and it does come down to a lot of what we've said in the past i think 
that a lot of the time, I think the Johan brings up a great point is one about is, you know, would you recommend somebody to watch this film? You know, part of the vault is being like, you know, a, a vault of films for people to go watch. And yes, okay, not every film might be somebody's cup of tea, but I think the fact of like, would you recommend this to somebody? And I think the fact that a fan of the film or, you know, somebody like myself who can still watch something and be like, you know, it wasn't for me, but I could still say it was a fun time. You know, I don't know who I would sort of like recommend this to, who hasn't already seen it, who isn't already a fan, who isn't already in that world. I think that that is a big part for me. And I think the, I think, what Chris was saying, I think that is really important about young filmmakers, independent cinema, making something bold and crazy, definitely. Because I think, you know, what Craig said about like, you know, there's films that are more striking in terms of their budgets and stuff. You don't want to be unfair and just say, oh, well, they automatically go in because they have a big budget. I'm all for like, you know, low budget stuff. But we have got things like Anna and the Apocalypse, which has gone in the vault, which I, you know, was not a as big a fan of oh, that you film always either. bring it back to <laughs> but i'm all i'm just saying i'm being fair okay um so i think the fact that you know we have hopefully got enough to say that there's one film that represents like low budget cinema but i think you know we have advocated for that before and i think this just it's more difficult to say that films like this are important when we have brought up filmmakers like sam raimi taika watiti who are also doing bold and crazy different things i'm not sure if we could say that say something like Into the Spider-Verse, which has recently come out, if that didn't go in, you're, you know, saying the like, what? Like being experimental and big and bold with animation is not an important thing? Of course it is. So I think that when you do things which are important to the industry, when you're going against the grain, like a film like that does, that is really important to highlight. Here, I think that there is still enough comedy, horror, gory, bloody stuff out there. Yes, it might have the most blood ever and holds that record. But I think the fact we have also mentioned Meet the Feebles. So the fact that you've got something like Bad Taste as well, which is also championing that kind of practical effects, crazy, zany ideas. I think that I'm not sure if this stands out to me as like this is the Peter Jackson zany independent horror film because he's it's a collection of films almost in a way. Um, and I think that, yes, this has got a legacy to an extent, but I just don't think it's maybe strong enough on the legacy. But also I don't think it's strong enough in the kind of like it's an independent, crazy, small budget film. I think that the, ultimately it still goes down to like what I often refer to as like the Avatar effect of yes that film is very important 3d and you know like cg or everything that that did for cinema but we didn't put it in because at the end of the day we still said the story didn't stand up and i think it kind of is the same here even though yes i agree with you guys you kind of just go in as a, a crazy fun time you don't need want to kind of analyze it critically I think that it is still important when you look at that vault of movies to have a bunch of films, unless it's something like a Monty Python in which it very much is clear this is a sketch movie. I think that you still kind of have to have that cohesive story or all of those emotional beats very clear. So I think, unfortunately, it's a no on the movie vault. Sorry, Chris. As much as, you know, I want to give you like a BAFTA for that that speech, though. It was it was the most Honestly, Chris, you nearly made me change my mind. Um, Like... 
I, I mean, I picked it. I picked no because I just think like this movie feels very me, but to the point that I know that no one else would think the same thing. But God damn it, you made me feel so wonderfully patriotic for this movie. I, I'll, I'll say this much. Um, I think I do agree with I, as much as I would have loved to have seen this movie go in the vault. Your point about Avatar, I, I agree with that sense because maybe sometimes we, we do have to look at a film and be like, what surrounds it isn't what defines it as being a great film. So I can I can understand where you're coming from, but I'll just say this: I would rather watch this film twice than ever watch Avatar once. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> well, Avatar two that's recently been on Disney Plus. I was like, do I want to watch this? I was like, I might watch a scene just to see what the 4K looks like on my TV, but I never need to watch that film again. It's just the same film again. We're in the end game now. Okay, endgame time. What I will say is that, Chris, your impassioned speech is not a complete loss because um, I recognize the emotion that go, went into it, to that. I am changing the name of this game to be more accommodating to your views on this film. Okay, endgame time. So the, today's game is simply called What an Odd Thing to Say. Originally, that was bad. Basically, a lot of horror films are, are known for, you know, their atmosphere their practical effects um their their characters etc one thing that obviously does happen every now and then with regards to horror films are particular lines certain lines become infamous to people whether they be the sorts of things that say become ingrained with the culture of the film such as like the sixth sense and i see dead people or the exorcist the uh, the power of christ compels you you do have to acknowledge though that some have bad reputation with regards to some of the lines because they are either very odd things to say in the first place or have been delivered in very, very bad ways. So what I've done is I've got a list of 10 quotes and basically this is fastest first. I want you to guess what is the film that the quote comes from. Simple as, okay? But before that, we need to know exactly what it is we'll be playing for for the next episode. So as always, everyone here has a film choice they would like to put forward. And we're just going to hear a little bit about them. In a surprise twist, I'm not going to reveal anything, but David and I actually know what our our choices are for <gasps> once. But obviously, we have no we have no say in which one gets chosen. It is up to the winner of the end game. So, David, tease us with what you'd like to put forward. So, my film is from 2013, and I've got so two links to why I'm bringing this up. One is partly because of Johan. In the last episode he was on, he brought up Quentin Tarantino and why we came to Battle Royale in terms of saying that it was like one of his favorite films ever. So this is another film which he has highlighted in the past in which he said the first 45 minutes are excellent. Then comes the end scene, incredible. When I saw it, I kept thinking, what? what's the film that everyone says is crap? Seriously? So there's that connection. But also we've talked about the fact that this film has a lot of like troublesome content, a lot of like crazy antics, people eating each other, etc. Um, a lot of like, you know, like the zombies are addicted to blood. And what, you know, better like continuation of that can you have than a film that actually has somebody who has partaked in the flesh uh, as a cannibal? Hmm. That is my uh, recommendation for this episode. Oh, I can't huh. believe you actually went that blatant with the <laughs> reference. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> so we have that 
So we have David's 2013 Touch with Cannibalism <laughs> film. Chris, tell us a little bit about the film you'd like to suggest. Well, this may be a, a theme, um, but my film is a, an ultra-violent film that also involves cannibalism. Uh, it's from 1993. Uh, it was also, similarly to this film, made by uh, filmmaker or filmmakers or content creators who have gone on to produce television and movies and, dare I say it, Broadway uh, musicals. And speaking of musicals, this film is also a musical and based on a true story. Okay, I think I think I might know what that is. Okay, wonderful. Johan, tell us a little bit about your film. Okay, so what I want what I picked up from doing Brain Dead and why I love that, it is the ultimate horror comedy. At least in terms of it is so over the toply comical that the horror no longer really becomes scary anymore. It's all about gore and bits. So I decided to pick a film that mostly is about that. So I picked a movie. I picked a movie that came out in the same year, 1992. It is from a master of horror comedy, and the fact that it's part of a franchise that you guys haven't talked about surprises me. So that's all I'm saying. Okay. And another interesting take there. <laughs> and fight. Shut up. <laughs> Such a different vibe. Well, because you know what mine's called. Yes. Come. Yeah. <laughs> so my film from 1997. Is not from the horror genre. It has a couple of different links going forward. One is obviously one uh, one element from uh, from Brain Dead that I highlighted was the random use of an Archers episode, which got me thinking about the the Midlands of England, but then got me thinking slightly further north, which is where my film is based. The other thing is, given that the film that we just discussed was uh, has the name Dead Alive. This is a film which very much, insofar as franchise aspects, was very much dead. But now, very recently, because of other projects uh, coming out or have come out by the time this episode has, is very much alive. So it's gone from dead to alive. So we have four completely different films. And by that, I mean my film and everyone else's that has a tinge of <laughs> darkness to them. <laughs> but which film will be chosen? We won't know until the end of the end game. So remember, if you win, you can choose your own, you can choose each other's, or you could choose one of mine or David's. So are we ready to play What an Odd Thing to Say? Yes. yes. Okay. We'll start with one of the easier quotes of this game. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Quote number one. Garbage day! Chris! Ding, 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 ding. That was Chris. Um... It is um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Is it correct? Mm -hmm. It is indeed correct. Oh, I will accept it, even though you missed out the word part. Um, <laughs> oh, but effectively, yes. <laughs> it is Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Yeah. Fantastic. Quote number two. When he's near, toast falls jelly side down, children hit tables, and people get hurt. Ooh. Can you say it again, please? When he's near, toast falls jelly side down, children hit tables, and people get hurt. Hmm. I won't do an accent for this one because this is a Hispanic old lady. I would not do this quote any justice. Why does not ring a bell to me? I 
Don't I think give, I know. I will give you a hint. I'll tell you the director. Okay. I might give you an idea. This is an M. Night Shyamalan film. Uh, uh, goodness. Ding, 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 ding. Johan? Um, is it from the movie Split? Is it from Split? No, it isn't. Okay. So, Chris, do you have any ideas for the point? Toast falls jelly side down, children hit tables. What was the last part? People get hurt. I'm just going to throw it out there. Six cents. Is it six cents? Unfortunately not. It's Devil. It's th- that movie. Yeah. Oh, it's ah, sh- oh, it's so shit. I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I could not have stressed it more. These are from bad horror yeah, films. Yeah. I know, but wow, that's bad. Okay, all right, I'm ready. Bloody hell! All right, okay. I uh, now now okay. We're in the end game now. Okay, let's yeah, do this. we have been for the last <laughs> ten minutes. I thought. But... Okay. <laughs> quote. Quote number three. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. I am the wizard master. Chris. Chris. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Yep, that's spot on. Another point. You got me there. Oh, that was a good end. I was about to say that. Oh, man. Yeah. Ironically, Part wasn't in that title, but I'll accept it still. So good. Okay. Number four. You've got perfect nipple placement, baby. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Johan? It's Jason X, isn't it? It's not Jason X. Oh. What? <laughs> um, um, it's like, if you, do, if you didn't think it was... If, it, if we didn't know it was horror comedy, you'd want to say, like, Dumb and Dumber yeah. or something. Yeah. You've got perfect nipple placement, baby. Do you know, I haven't a clue. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Okay. So you're passing? Yeah, I pass. Okay. Johan, you seem to have a reaction. Have you worked out what it is? Okay, I'm thinking, if it's what I think it is, you've got perfect nipple placement. I'm thinking whether that's the case or whether it's the fact that it's not technically a horror in my mind, but it could have been something with, it could have, I instantly thought of Total Recall with the freed booby lady. Okay, it's not Total, it's Friday the 13th. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought Johan was like, I, I try to think of a film that does have perfect nipple placement. Wait, wait. It does have free nipple perfect <laughs> placement. Wait, Friday the 13th part one. Apparently so, according to this list. God, I've, I've never heard that line in that film. Shit the bed, I know who says it now. What I will say is, if you guys don't get the next next quote, it's not on me or Screen Rant, it is very much on you guys. This sure. is very much going to be fastest first. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Quote number five. How'd he get burned? How'd he get burned? That was Johan. That is the Wicker Man remake. Yep, give him Wicker Man. How many God times has this film come up in Endgames recently? It, it's a source of gold. It well, is, yeah. It literally has him dressed in a beer, punching a little girl. <laughs> How have never out used out that body. for an Endgame yet? 10 out of 10. How to get burned, how to get burned. <laughs> okay, quote number six. It makes you kill yourself. Oh, this... Ding, 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 ding. Johan? The happening? He's got it. Um... It did sound familiar, yeah. I was like, wait, do I know this? The wind. The the evil thing is the wind. Is this also M. Night Shyamalan? Well, yeah. It's also an M. Night Shyamalan uh, Ding Dong movie. M. Night. What are you doing making all these bad horror movies? You have night in your Ding name. Dong. How are you making such bad, dark movies? <laughs> Number seven. If she were any quieter, she'd be dead. 
Chris. Chris? Sleepaway Camp. Is it Sleepaway Camp? Yes, it is. Yes! Uh, oh, now I know. God damn it. That <laughs> is a terrible film. <laughs> that is, honestly, honest to God, I watch that because that film gets talked about by everyone all the time. Oh, it's one of those shocking campers. <laughs> it is bollocks. It is <laughs> such a naff film. And I can't it's believe It's very naff. Like yeah, it's naff, and the only reason why people talk about it is because of the ending. Yeah. That's quite literally the only reason why people talk about it. Yeah. And even now, the ending is aged like sour milk. <laughs> yeah, I just like how uh, we had such the impassioned defense earlier from that. Chris, yeah. and now it's just like it's bollocks. It's yeah, naff. this is the impassioned hate. There are people that will rate that film higher than Brain Dead, and I want to punch them <laughs> so hard. Well, I hope never to watch that film. Yo, avoid you. It. Let me uh, just change it. my answer. Yes. <laughs> okay. Are we ready for number eight? Go on. Do you think, cuz? Chris. Chris? Another terrible film. It's Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that, my God. Oh, God. Oh, that film made me yeah, so that's... mad. <laughs> I knew, I knew that line came from one of the Texas Chainsaws. I didn't think it was 3D, though. Oh, but that's all bad. Yeah. Um, I actually I actually thought that might have come out from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I thought I, that was one I was going to ask. But, mm. yeah, oh, that okay. would have been the nail-biter. Mm. But what yeah. else is nail-biting is the scores. David, how are we standing? Uh, it's four to Chris, two to Johan. <sighs> With two questions God. left, we could be looking at a tie-break. <gasps> ah! <Okay. laughs> Number nine. If Pazuzu comes for you, Chris. I will sp- I will the spit a leopard. Are you going for the exorcist? Exorcist. Mm. Oh, don't, no. Oh, it's exorcist part three? <laughs> You're going for part three? Yeah. You're wrong. Oh. Ding, 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 ding. It's, is it the exorcist to the heretic? <sighs> You are correct. Oh. Yes! Oh. This is the tension we live for on the show. I, I, it's two, baby! It's so nice! <laughs> it, was, it was the Pazuzu line. I just immediately went for exorcist, but I didn't know. And the thing is, you didn't even let me finish the quote. It was, <laughs> I will spit yeah. a leopard. <laughs> yeah. The final quote of the game. Oh, God, this is getting hot and steamy in here. Yeah. Mm. Not right. just the weather. Looking a little crispy over there, Mikey. Uh, oh, God. I love the reactions of both guests are just vitally yeah. different. Chris is in silent contemplation. Johan's darting around the room yeah. like, oh God, what is it? <sighs> How do I get out of here? Mikey. Mm. It could be Mickey, but it's spelt Mikey. Um, ding, ding, ding. Is it Halloween Resurrection? He's only gone and done it. It's the tiebreaker. Oh, yes! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, of course I didn't plan for this. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, that hurt me. <laughs> That's the one Halloween film I haven't seen. So the scores at the end of that round is for all. Oh my god, this hurts me. Okay, come on. Because you technically have both won this end game, we're not going to go for a bad film. We are going to go for a good film horror quote. Okay. So this will be the fastest first. So your quote is, mm-hmm. you'll float too. Chris! That is Chris. It. 
or it chapter one because it's in both of them give it to chris he's won the oh. end game oh, a nail biting game <laughs> david the final score well, well is played, played, chris for congratulations well played if you're talking horror comedies we had well played we had the best contestants well, play- well played well played well played <laughs> well done how do you feel chris Oh, oh, that was that was, that was some stiff competition you had. Fair play, man. Fair play. Well done. Well done. That was tough. Oh, tough. So of course, Chris, you now get the opportunity oh. to choose. Would you like to choose your film, your hand film, or either mine or David's? The, f- the funny thing is, is like I was going to go for mine originally, but then Craig, yours genuinely intrigued me. <laughs> yep. And. Just to break the trend, I'm going to go with Craig's. I'm going to go with Craig's. I'm going to go with Craig's. What is the intrigue the guest people? (laughs) So with my film, obviously I got reminded of uh, the Midlands of England, and this is true, and my film. Uh, So I even tried to look up exactly where The Arches is based. Obviously it's based in a fictitious little town, Ambridge, uh, which is around sort of uh, Warwickshire way. So I decided to look what is near Warwickshire, or at least insofar as counties. And that's when I came across Sheffield. And that's what got me thinking about everything that I've seen recently. So I've been to Sheffield recently, uh, and they're very, very, you know, proud of a certain film that's based from there from the past, from 1997. Also is getting a Disney Plus series that is currently out now, 25 years later, the lives of the working class men who lost their jobs, who needed to resort to becoming strippers. Yes, we are looking oh. at the full Monty. Oh. We're finished, Dave. Extincto. Yesterday's news. Shut it. Some of us are trying to get a job. Hey, and it says no smoking. You forget, Gerald, you're not our foreman anymore. You're just like the rest of us. Scrap. If you were out of work... Get a job! If you want joint custody, then you have to pay your share. And out of luck. Now what? Sure up, I'm thinking. You'd do anything... You call them Chippendales, man. ...to turn your life around. How many lasses were there, though? Thousands. It's worth a thought, though, isn't it? But these men... I don't see why not, Gerald. Because you're fat and he's thin and you're both ugly. ...have come up with a plan... No. Not doing it. Come on, Dave, don't stop now. That's going to get them a lot of exposure. A laughing stock. Totally. We can either forget it or do it and just maybe get rich. This is crazy. They may not have the talent for it. Dancers have coordination, fitness and grace. <laughs> the bodies for it. The less I eat, the fatter I get. So stuff yourself and get thin. Or the stomach for it. I think I'm gonna be sick. But when you've got nothing to lose... Right. This lot go all the way. You lot. You've got nothing to hide. That would be worth a look. We've sold 200 tickets. No one said anything to me about the full Monty. Are you in or are you out? Wow. That, <laughs> wow! that was a clever hook, man. Oh. So the full Monty, you can catch it, as Craig alluded to slightly, on Disney Plus as part of your subscription, along with the TV show if you want to watch it. Uh, you can also rent it on places like Apple TV, Rakuten, Amazon, and I'm sure you can pick it up on physical media on the likes of DVD. Is the full Monty got a Blu-ray release? I don't know. <laughs> Let us know. Um, whether you want to see the high definition of that film is also questionable. It's somebody's kink, let's be fair. <laughs> so yeah, the full Monty, quite the difference we're going to be getting there. 
from Brain Dead, another drastic snap. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. It's been a crazy, fun discussion, as expected. Uh, always a joy having you both on, especially talking about uh, such kind of cult horror crazy cinema. Uh, Johan, where can people catch you? What have you got coming up uh, at this time of year, which will be in July? Well, what we have at the moment is if you go onto uh, YouTube and go to Enigmatic Retro Rewind, you usually find me and Ed talking about something fun and nostalgic. Um, we have already having plans for upcoming events at the moment. We want to do an outdoor screening of a couple of cult films. We're, you know, getting that all ready to go. And we just want to make more and more content. We're going to go back into some of our nostalgic video game stuff. We're going to do stuff with the Quad and Derby. We've got a lot happening around that time. So if you wanted to find out more, go into Enigmatic Retro Rewind. You can go... You can you can on youtube you can find us on socials like instagram you can find uh if you type in enigmatic you find us there on that on twitter on facebook you can find us all on there using that title and you can find me on most places like in instagram you can find me at johan underscore cult film club or you can just find me at uh, another social medias like that i am not on twitter because of the scary musk but everything else is all good otherwise you can just find me from there and chris what about yourself where can people find you what have you got coming up um, uh, this year is going to be a very exciting year as uh, Dramatic Moose is coming back with another play. Only this time I'll be on the opposite side. I won't be acting, I'll be directing my first uh, mm. uh, production. Um, that will be coming up uh, in October this year in Cardiff. We'll be performing in the Little Man uh, Coffee Company uh, Cafe in the centre of town. And the play is called uh, The Universe PLC. And that's with Dramatic Moose. Uh, you can find Dramatic Moose on Facebook at uh, Facebook forward slash Dramatic Moose. You can find us on Twitter, dramatic, uh, twitter.com, uh, dramatic underscore moose. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, if you type in Dramatic Moose Productions, you'll find our YouTube channel, which has a few of our productions and our audio projects. And as well as directing my first uh, play this year, I will also, I've also had a script, which will be made into a short film um which is due for, hopefully for release next year um i'll be this is a script i wrote quite a while ago and due to the pandemic it's been way way in development hell um so now it's going to be getting made this year and i'll be making that along with the the watchers productions uh and their strange tales project uh you can find the watchers on facebook at facebook.com forward slash watchers productions you can find them on twitter at com forward slash watchers film and you can also find them on TikTok, uh, tiktok.com forward slash at watches underscore clips. And you can also find Strange Tales on YouTube if you type in uh, Watchers Productions Strange Tales. Or if you go to their website, watchersproductions.com, you'll find a hyperlink with all of the short films that we have made. One starring myself and one produced by myself that also starred Gareth David Lloyd of Torchwood fame. Just thought I'd put oh, that amazing. One in there. <laughs> I met him in Curry's. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yes, yeah, it's going to be quite a fun year this year, and it's interesting to be on the other side—not as an actor, but as a, a content creator, writer, and director. So, uh, lots of stuff to look forward to. We love to see it. Don't don't get a don't get bit by the monkey rat of Hollywood when you go into <laughs> the directing game and uh, start making <laughs> the Hobbit films. <laughs> hey, listen, if that monkey rat's going to pay me one billion dollars, you can bite me wherever he wants. <laughs> <laughs>
lots to go catch uh, check out guys please do go find it all it sounds like really exciting stuff and uh, like Craig was saying earlier like some people you know like ignore him on here sometimes and he call, he's calling them out well I'm I'm loving it when people are giving us links and giving us stuff to go and find and share shame to you people who are like no I'm no I'm no way I'm like yeah somewhere you can find them <laughs> so thank you guys uh, not in a creepy way <laughs> uh, so thank you guys it has been so fun we've had a very exciting episode uh, loads of crazy conversations a lot of impassioned speeches yeah. and uh, a very tense nail biting end game which mm. led us to the full Monty <laughs> which again crazy take and random uh, direction we've gone in once again uh, Craig anything lastly from yourself apart from happiness to be getting away from horror once again hope everyone's enjoying the height of the Donna summers um Get ready for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Adios. Hot stuff. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. Is that the one with the girl and the donkey? (laughs) 